Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Tonight we are going to start the doctrine of man. The doctrine of man is a very, very powerful doctrine. And it's one that I really want you to tune into because... There's some of the things that you might hear that you'll have to digest a little bit before you maybe understand. Holy Spirit knows how to bring understanding, and so we're trusting him for understanding. I also want to say to you, as we study the doctrine of man, and even going to the other doctrines as we proceed throughout the year, I want to remind you that minds are territorial so they love to be protective so to speak and many times when new information comes and it threatens information that already exists there's a tendency of the mind to reject the new information because as i said minds are territorial but we have to open up our hearts our minds to the word of God and remember that knowledge is key because without knowledge we can't have wisdom. Wisdom is acting on knowledge, acting on information. So we have to ensure that we value the information that we get, treat it with respect, and then we can walk in wisdom in that order. I want to start out tonight reading a verse of scripture from Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to read verse 26. The book of Genesis is a very interesting book. It speaks to beginnings and whenever you want to really truly understand the origin of anything that we're talking about, it is good to trace it back to Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are considered to be the two perfect chapters in the Bible. Perfect in the sense that they are the only two chapters that don't record any sin. All right, so that was before sin. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, those chapters were before sin, so they give you an idea of what God intended earth to be, what God intended life to be without sin and also it speaks in a sense to our future life because our future life will be one without sin that life that we live and reign with god in righteousness forevermore so genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is where we're going to start tonight and uh, i'm sure you know this verse but let's see what the word of god is saying, then God said, let us make man or let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, over the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So let us make human beings or let us make man and I want to point out there that God said, let us make man. So 
it was the entire council of the Godhead that got together to make man. So God put everything into man in terms of the full council of the Godhead working together to create this species called human beings. The scripture clearly teaches that the original man was the direct result of a creative act of God. Right? So being a masterpiece of creation, man was created in the image and likeness of God as what we call a tripartite being or a threefold being consisting of spirit, soul, and body. And we will pick up on that part of it next week, the spirit, soul, and body. God created man to have relationship with him. God created human beings to have relationship with him. He wanted relationship with us and he created us with the ability to have relationship with him, to be made in his image and likeness, to share in his function of dominion in the earth and to be fruitful and reproduce himself, for man to reproduce himself. So though the entrance of sin seemed to frustrate God's purpose for man in creation through redemption, we see that this purpose was accomplished. So the enemy at no time can really stop the purposes of God because what the enemy meant for evil, God turned around for good. He tried to frustrate the plan of God through sin, but of course, the word of the Lord came in Genesis 3 verse 15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and hence bring redemption to mankind. I want to present to you uh, three theories concerning the origin of man that is out there because I'm sure you would have come across them at least in pieces here or there and some people are left confused as it relates to the origin of man. But first of all, we want to look at what is called the atheistic evolution. You know that an atheist is someone who don't believe in God. So when we talk about the atheistic evolution, you would imagine that it is a theory that would uh, try and counter what the word of God says. So the atheistic evolution holds the theory of spontaneous generation. It suggests that all forms of animal life evolve from a more primitive form of life. So the evolutionary theory believes that cell matter evolved into life forms, then fish, then birds, then animals, apes, you know, and finally to man. It remains a theory, not a proven fact, because the missing links in the atheistic evolution, in the transitional stages, has never been found. So in other words, how life moved from animals to ape, from ape to man, how it happened can never be identified according to their own theory. It can't be properly explained. So those missing links leave us in a place of understanding that it is just a theory, not a fact, nothing proven. So the evolutionary theory is built upon supposition and the literature contains terms like maybe, we suggest, perhaps, it could be so, we assume, 
it is possible, it is feasible, or it may be presupposed. So all these connotations puts us in a place of understanding that there is no certainty about the atheistic evolution. It is just a theory, and of course, some people who want to oppose God buy into the atheistic evolution to be on the side of opposing what the word of God says. The next theory that we're going to look at is what is called the theistic evolution. So first of all, we look at the atheistic evolution. Now we're looking at the theistic evolution. This theory holds that higher forms of life evolved from lower forms of life. But where they differ with the atheistic evolution is that they're suggesting that the lower forms of life were created by God. In this uh, theory, God is acknowledged as creator of a part of creation, right? So they are suggesting that, yes, he was involved in creation, but he didn't really do everything. That there were others that would have been involved in creation. The Bible teaches the creation of species, not their evolution, right? So all fish, all birds, animals, and man were created in their own order to reproduce after their kind, not to evolve in some higher form. So that's where the Bible differs with these theories, that all birds, animals, man, fish were created in their own order to reproduce after their kind, not to evolve into something else. So a reptile can only produce a reptile. A horse can only produce a horse. A monkey can only produce a monkey. A monkey can never produce a man. And if their theory was true, what has happened to the process over the years? The third theory of the three is what is called the theistic creation. So there's the theistic evolution, and then there's the theistic creation. Theistic creation holds to the scriptural fact that God is the life source. He is the life source, the originator and maintainer of all forms of life, and the one who created all to reproduce after their kind. So God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, the world, and the galaxies. According to Genesis chapter 1, God created the archangels and the angelic hosts. And we will go a little bit more into that when we study the doctrine of angels. But Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 speaks to the fact that God created the angelic host. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things all things and for thy pleasures they are and were created so god created the fish of the seas and the fowls of the air the beast of the field and every living creature the final creative act of almighty god was man the highest creation of god on this earth right so the final creative act of God was man. And I want us to take a few moments out to go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26 to verse 31 this time to 
look at God's creative act of man as stated in Genesis 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God, and remember that word God there, that the word used there is Elohim. So it is in the plural form. So talking about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit created human beings or mankind in his own image, in the image of God created he them, male and female according he created according to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 and God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and look what he said and have dominion over the fish of the sea so God gave man dominion over the fish of the sea the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Verse 30, And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, including man, and behold, it was very good. In fact, if you look at the preceding verses coming down in creation, everything that God made, the Bible said he saw that it was good. But when it came to man, he saw that it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The original man was the direct result of the creative act of God, not any evolution. Man is a divinely created being, the crowning glory and masterpiece of creation. So all nations are of one blood because all were in Adam when he was created. Only true answer to the question concerning the origin of man is God's answers as found in the Bible. That man is a created being. He was created. Man is a created being. Did not evolve from anything as some would suggest. Well, let's break down what man is a little bit more. Uh, the definition. What, what is man? In fact, the psalmist asks the question in Psalm 8, verse 2, what is man? And for more reasons than one, I have to read that scripture because I want to point out some things there that I want you to pay attention to. Psalm 8, verse 2. Well, let's start from verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work 
of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. I'm reading a few more verses. What are mere mortals that you should think of them? Human beings that you should care for them, all right? The, the King James read that verse to say, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, I want to, just before I proceed with this, I want to remind you that the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures was originally written in ancient Hebrew, the Old Testament, small portion in Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. The King James translation, the English translations of the Bible that we have were not the original translations. And that is why we keep referring back to the Hebrew word and the Greek word in the scripture because language change and over the years we have found that the English translations has not been 100% accurate. There were some cases where they did not get it right. And Psalm 8 is one of those places when we talk about the doctrine of man here. It says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the King James says, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Now, first of all, let me say here that the psalmist, by asking what is man that thou art mindful of him, is not berating man. It's not a case where he was speaking down to man. In fact, he was more honoring, recognizing and honoring man, saying, God, I mean, why did you think so highly of man as opposed to the impression we get sometimes of, well, man is nothing. In fact, the word for angels there, remember it says, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And the Hebrew word for angels in that text, and I want you to fact check me on this, please do your own research. But the Hebrew word for angels there is the word Elohim. Now that changes the complex of that verse totally because we have studied the name Elohim and remember that when we were looking at the doctrine of God, we established the point that Elohim speaks to plurality of the Godhead. So L-E-L -E -L speaks to the singular part where it might be talking about just God the Father or Jesus the Son or the Holy Spirit. But Elohim speaks to the plurality of the Godhead, all three in one. And the Hebrew word that was used there where they put angel is the word Elohim. So it actually should read, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than Elohim. Oh, so, well, here's one translation that actually have it that way. What is man that you are mindful of him? And look at verse five. Yet what honor you have given to men created only a little lower than Elohim. I believe that when the King James translators got to this point, they got maybe a little cold feet and struggled with 
that translation. So, in fact, what we're looking at here is that man was not made lower than the angels. Man was made a little lower than God. So man has the capacity to function like God on earth. Now, I didn't say to be God. God created man to carry out his functions on earth. But he wanted man to carry out those functions just like how he would carry them out. But only that man would be attached to his source, which is God. So God created man a little lower than himself that man could dominate earth in the way that he would be pleased. So man is amazing. The stuff that God puts in man to make man what he is, is just incredible. I want you to know tonight that God thinks highly of you, that you are not afterthought for God. You're not made a little lower than the angels. In fact, the Bible said that you will judge angels. You, the believer, will judge angels in that time of judgment. That is why angels work for you. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we've read it a couple of times since then. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness or according to our nature and character. Now, there are two Hebrew words used in the Genesis account of creation that are worthy of consideration here that we should look at carefully that would give us a better understanding of what God put into man because he didn't go this extent in creating anything else. So the two words that we're going to look at are create and make, all right? The word create... Remember he said God created man in his own image and likeness? Well, the word create comes from a Hebrew word called bara, B-A-R-A. And it means to make something out of nothing or to bring into existence. So God brought the human spirit into existence when he created man. There was no human spirit anywhere around. He brought it into existence. Just like the grass, there was no farm store anywhere around. There was nothing like that. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and it was a creative act. He brought grass into existence. There was no grass seed around anywhere. And the same thing with man. He created man in terms of his spirit. The human spirit was not anywhere around where he could go pick it up or anything like that. The human spirit is something that was brought into existence. So he created man as it relates to the spirit. And then the next word that was used now is the word asa, A-S-A, which means to make. The next word that was used is the word make, which comes from the Hebrew word asa, which means to fashion or form as a potter forms a vessel of clay. It means to fashion existing material into something new. So God created man as to his spirit and soul, but made man as to his body. So if we read Genesis 2 verse 7, we see where God formed man's body of the dust of the ground. He used the earth to fashion man's body. So that is Asa. He used existing material to create something new. So as to 
as to man's body, he made man's body. But as to his spirit and soul, he created that. In fact, when we look at that word asa, where he fashioned man's body from the dust of the ground, you know, the scripture is so consistent that when you understand it, you find that it interlinks, it does not contradict each other as some people would want to suggest. Because when God made Eve, he went through the same process with Eve's body as it relates to Asa. Remember, he took a rib from Adam, existing material, and fashioned Eve. So that same word, Asa, he didn't go one route with Adam as it relates to his body and another way with Eve. It was the same word, Asa, fashioned existing material into something new. In terms of Adam's body, he used the dust of the ground. But when he came to Eve, he took a rib from Adam and fashioned Eve's body. So man is a created being and he holds his existence to God and the creator and sustainer of all things is the one that enabled man to be here. He created man. So it is very important that we don't buy into evolutionary theories to think that, you know, man was something insignificant and over time emerging to what he is now. Man is a created being. We also want to look at the fact that man is a dependent being. The fact that man holds his existence to a creator makes him a dependent creature. He is not self-existent and thus cannot be independent. I know that many times it feels good for us to say that we are independent. You might be independent of your friend's money or something like that. But in the true sense of independence, you're really not independent because you owe your existence to God. In fact, if God was to pull his oxygen for five minutes, you're gone. So man is totally dependent on God for his very breath. So that is why in the scriptures, in Acts, it says, in him we live and move and have our beings. Man is also an intelligent being. Man is a being having reason and intelligence, imagination, and the ability to express his thoughts in language. I cannot begin to tell you how phenomenal that is. How a baby is born and grow up over the years and start communicating with you in the same language that you speak. God built into man that faculty to be able to express his thoughts in language. Nothing else created can do that. This is far superior to the animal creation or simply uh, creatures of habits and instincts. And we have many scriptures that speaks to that. Whether we go from Genesis 2.15, Romans 1.21, Matthew 16.7, there are many scriptures that speaks to that, that man is an intelligent being. He is not just one of those created just to function and habits. Man is also a moral being. And this one is very interesting. God created man with a free will, the ability to choose. And many of us say that sometimes we're agree to that in terms of those words, but 
when you examine a lot of Christians, they probably don't really believe it. And I'll make my case. Just as God created the angelic hosts as beings with free will, having the power of choice, so God created man with the power of choice. So man and angels are the two beings created that has free will. That is why a portion of the angels left with the devil because they have free will. They were created with free will, just like man. So man was not created as a robot or a machine or a will-less being. God desired a creature that would respond to him willingly and freely. And this necessitated having a free will. All right? God did not want to have to force you to worship him. So he gave you the choice. So it was very intentional when God created man with the faculty of the soul, which includes the free will. The faculty of the spirit, as we've said in times past, processes the information available so that you can revisit conclusions. Now, some deny the fact of man's free will. They believe that all things were predestined by God and therefore every action on earth, every action of man is God's will. In other words, some people will say, if God did not want it to happen, it could not happen. Or I couldn't do it if God did not want me to do it. No, it doesn't necessarily follow. You have the right to respond to God or not respond to God. You have a free will. God has predestined purpose for our lives or what we call his will for our lives. But he did not predestine your actions. Your actions are results of your free will. So this is not to say that God did not know what your actions would be. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. So he knows everything. He's always in a place of no. But knowing does not mean approval. Him knowing what you would do does not mean that he approved it. So God knew that the fall of man was coming, but he never predestined it. In other words, it wasn't his plan. It was man's choice. And he, God, had to respond to it, but it wasn't his plan. In fact, if God predestined the fall of man and then held Adam responsible for it, that would be gross injustice. We would have to do some serious evaluation on a God like that. If he predestined the fall of man and then held Adam responsible for it, that could not be right. The fall was because man have a free will and had the choice whether he obeyed God or obeyed the enemy. And in fact, I want to read a few scriptures here just to make this point as it relates to man's free will and how the scripture speaks to that. And let's start out by reading 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Many of you would have at least heard the first part of this verse before. It says, Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering towards us or to us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's desire is not that man would perish, that we would perish, but he wants us to come to repentance. It is our will. It is our choice that brings us to a place of repentance. So the conviction of the Lord can come upon your life. The message of the Lord, the kingdom can be preached with power and anointing, but it is your choice to respond to God. It is your free will that comes into place that uh, enables that covenant between you and God. It is your free will that makes it happen. Let's read another one in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. In fact, let's pick it up from verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved, or whose will is that all men be saved. That's what it is saying. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, Paul writing to Timothy there is establishing the point that it is God's will that all men be saved. That's God's will that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But will all men be saved? No. You know people who have died and, you know, of course left this earth and they were not saved. Why? Because they chose not to respond to the will of God, to the king of kings. So man has a free will. And even though something is God's will for his life, it doesn't mean that he has to respond because he has a free will. Of course, if he doesn't respond to God's will, he will suffer the consequences. But the point is, he has a free will and choose whether he obey God or not. It's just like you. Everyone here on this platform tonight you can speak to times in your life, if you have walked with God for any meaningful period of time, you can remember times in your life when God said something to you, whether through the inward witness or just spoke a word through the audible voice or however he spoke to you, you knew he was speaking to you, but you did not obey. Whether it be out of fear or you were too busy or whatever, you did not obey what God said. Why? Because you have a free will. If you did not have a free will, then you would have to automatically obey. But God created you with the free will, the power of choice, so that you decide what you want. So that's one of the honor that man has, the, the free will. And God wants us to exercise our free will in terms of choosing him. That's his desire. But at the end of the day, it is your choice. The scripture supports the fact that man has a free will. The scripture supports it by appealing to man's will to respond to God's will. It will be admitted that man's will is weakened because of sin, but it is still existing. And I still have a few more scriptures I want to go through because it is so very important that we settle this issue of free will. God did not give man a free will halfway. That is why you can choose if you obey the constitution 
or not. Let's read St. John 7, verse 17. Look what it starts out saying. If any will do his will, I mean, you have a choice whether or not to do his will. If any will do his will, ye shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If any will do his will. Why would the scriptures say that way? Because you have a choice whether or not you do his will. Let's go into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 7, 8, and 15. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So it says, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. That means you can harden your heart against what God is saying. In other words, you can choose not to conform to what he's saying. Why? Because you have a free will. But the Bible is appealing to you to conform to God's will, not to, to do your own thing, not to harden your heart, but to conform to his will. Let's look at verse 15. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Here is the writer reinforcing that point. Harden not your heart or don't choose to have your own way. Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. So you can harden your heart. We're still in Hebrews. We have Hebrews 4 verse 7 as another scripture that we want to look at. You probably did not realize that the scripture appears so many times in the Bible and particularly in Hebrews. Hebrews 4 verse 7. Again, he limited a certain day saying in David, today after so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. In other words, don't choose against him. Choose him. You remember in the Old Testament, Joshua told the people one time, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Exercise your free will. And he went on to say, look, I'm making my choice. I can tell you where I'm going. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But even as your leader, I cannot choose for you. You choose whom you will serve. One more scripture from St. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says, but as many as received him. What does it mean to receive him? It means that you are exercising your free will, your power of choice to receive Jesus Christ, to conform to him, to covenant with him. So as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. How do we become the sons of God? by exercising our free will to choose him, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God's will, as the Bible says earlier, that all men be saved. So if you will recognize him, if you will exercise that 
choice that you have to covenant with him, then you will be able to have his will established in your life. So no other or nothing else that God created outside of the angels, the angelic host and man was given a free will. And so you are a powerful human being. You have power in your hand, but you have to make that power count for you. So I appeal to you tonight to make right choices with your free will. Although you have the right to choose what you want, make it work to your advantage. God placed within man a conscience, which gives him a moral sense, distinguishing right from wrong. And next week, we want to start out talking about the conscience. Conscience means a knowledge of self in relation to a known law of right or wrong. It is a faculty that no animal has. That's why a dog will bite you, because it really don't have any conscience. Though man was created with a sense of innocence, purity, and righteousness, he was ignorant of evil. So it is this upright state, his conscience, that was active in the sense of righteousness until he sinned. The moment he sinned, his conscience began to work and his thoughts began to accuse him and excuse him. So the conscience is a very important faculty that enables man to carry out his function on the earth. But the, the conscience was not really active until sin came because there was no need for that because there was no such thing as right or wrong. It was after sin came that the conscience became active. It was created, but not active. There was no need for it to be active. But when sin came, like Paul said, the law revived and I died. When sin came, conscience became active. I want to continue to appeal to your free will to covenant with God's will because then you become unstoppable as a human being. God created you with the free will, but his desire is not that you exercise that free will against him. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at FCF Mobay and on Facebook at FCF Montego Bay.